Chapter 9, Part 2 of The Metamorphosis, or Golden Ass. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Thomas Copeland. The Metamorphosis, or Golden Ass, by Apuleius. Translated by Thomas Taylor. Chapter 9, Part 2. Scarcely had the old woman finished her tale, and the baker's wife thus resumed her discourse. Oh, how blessed is that woman who enjoys the liberty of associating with so firm a friend. But I, miserable creature, have met with a lover who is even frightened at the noise of the mill and the concealed face of that scabby ass. To this the old woman replied, I will even now cause that lover of yours to be with you promptly at the appointed time, well persuaded and resolute. And having likewise promised that she should return in the evening, she departed from the bedchamber. But that chaste wife immediately prepared a princely banquet. She defecates by percolation the precious wine, tempers the new-made pottage with seasoning, and furnishes the table with abundance of food. In short, the coming of the adulterer is expected like the advent or manifestation of some god. For opportunely the husband supped abroad at the house of a neighboring fuller. Midday, therefore, approaching, I being at length freed from my harness and permitted to refresh myself in quiet, I did not by Hercules so much rejoice in my liberation from labor as that, my eyes being uncovered, I should now be able to behold without restraint all the arts of the wicked woman. The sun, indeed, having now descended under the ocean, had illuminated the inferior parts of the earth, when, behold, the rash adulterer came, closely following the iniquitous old woman, he himself being very young, and still conspicuous by the polished smoothness of his chin, still being himself the delight of adulterers. The woman, having received him with many kisses, desired him to recline himself for the supper she had prepared. But no sooner had the young man touched with the extremity of his lips the cup, which was drunk out of previous to eating, and just begun to taste the food, than the husband came, returning much sooner than they expected. Then the egregious wife, having earnestly prayed for dire curses upon him, and wishing that he might break his legs, hid the adulterer trembling with pale fear under the wooden bin, which then happened to lie near her, in which a confused heap of corn was usually purified. And by her innate craft, dissembling a deed so wicked, and assuming an intrepid countenance, she inquired of her husband why he came home so prematurely, relinquishing the supper of his most intimate companion. But he, with a mind perfectly afflicted and continually sighing, said, not being able to bear the detestable and extreme wickedness of an abandoned woman, I took myself to flight. Good gods, what a wife! How faithful and how temperate! And yet she defiled herself with a most filthy crime. I swear by this holy series that I can even now scarcely believe the testimony of my eyes concerning such a woman. The most audacious wife of the baker being incited by these words of her husband, and desiring to know the affair, did not cease to importune him to narrate the whole transaction from the beginning. Nor did she desist till her husband complied with her wish. And thus, being ignorant of the misfortune of his own house, 
he related that of the family of another. The wife of my associate, the Fuller, who seemed to be a woman of undefiled chastity, and who, being always renowned for her modesty, chastely ruled the house of her husband, was inflamed with a secret love for a certain adulterer, and as she continually indulged in furtive embraces with that young man, she was in the act of being connected with him at the very moment of time in which we, having bathed, went to supper. Being therefore disturbed by our sudden presence, she hid him in a wicker coop, which being plaited from willow twigs into an erect heap, and smoked with the white fume of sulphur, was used for the purpose of whitening the cloth that was placed round it. And he being now safely concealed, as it seemed to her, she fearlessly participated with us of the table. In the meantime, the young man, being oppressed and obscured by the odour of the sulphur, became faint through the interception of his breath, and that living mineral caused him to sneeze frequently, as it is natural for it to do. But as soon as the husband who sat opposite to his wife heard the sound of sneezing behind his back, because he thought it proceeded from his wife, he wished her well in the usual words, and this he did when he again heard the sneezing, and also when it was frequently repeated, till, being moved by the excessive repetition of it, he at length suspected what the thing was. Immediately, therefore, pushing away the table at which she sat, and removing the coop, he drew forth a man, who was with great pain restoring his frequent emissions of breath. And being inflamed with indignation on account of the disgraceful circumstance, calling for a sword, he longed to kill a man who would have expired in a short time, unless I, considering our common danger, had, too, though with difficulty, prevented him from his furious attack by assuring him that his enemy would shortly die through the powerful odour of the sulphur, without any blame being attached to us. And he, being rendered more mild, not by my persuasion, but by the necessity of the thing itself, brought him, who was now but half alive, into the next street. Then I secretly admonished, and at length prevailed on his wife, to withdraw herself for a short time from the shop, and betake herself to a certain woman with whom she was familiar, till the enraged mind of her husband should be appeased, who, I did not doubt, was so exasperated and so agitated with fury, that he would certainly perpetrate something more deadly, both on himself and his wife. And thus, being wearied with the supper of my associate, I returned to my own house. While the baker narrated these particulars, that shameless and audacious woman had, long before the tale was finished, expressed by execrations how much she detested the wife of the fuller, calling her perfidious, unchaste, and lastly the great disgrace of all her sex, who, laying aside her own modesty and trampling on the league of the marriage-bed, had defiled with meretricious infamy the house of her husband and now had procured for herself the name of a prostitute, having lost the dignity of a married woman. She added that such females ought to be burnt alive. Nevertheless, through the joint admonition of her silent wound, and her own filthy conscience, in order that she might sooner liberate her adulterer from the torment of his covering, she frequently urged her husband to go to bed as soon as possible. He, however, mildly requested that the table might be placed for him, as, his supper being intercepted at the house of the fuller, he had fled from thence perfectly hungry. 
then the wife hastily set the table before him though unwillingly because it was designed for another person but my bowels were perfectly lacerated when i reflected on the preceding wickedness and the present audacity of this most abandoned woman and i sedulously deliberated with myself whether i could by any means give assistance to my master by detecting and revealing the fraud of his wife and by throwing off the covering exposed to the view of every one him who was concealed like a tortoise under the bin at length divine providence regarded me thus tormented with the disgrace of my master for the lame old man to whose care our custody was committed led all us labouring beasts collected into one body to the next lake for the sake of drinking the time now requiring that this should be done and this circumstance administered to me a most opportune occasion of revenge for in passing by i observed the extremities of the fingers of the adulterer which were protuberant through the narrow openings of the hollow covering and pressing these with my inflected and sharp hoof i bruised them so as to reduce them to the greatest tenuity till being excited by the intolerable pain he sent forth a sorrowful clamour and pushing away and throwing down the bin he unfolded to the sight of all that were present the scenic apparatus of the lecherous woman nevertheless the baker not being greatly disturbed by the loss of his wife's modesty thus began to soothe with a serene front and conciliated face the young man who was trembling with exsanguous paleness you need not fear my son that anything of a sorrowful nature will be inflicted on you by me i am not a barbarian nor endued with a rustic deformity of manners nor will i kill you with the deadly fume of sulphur after the example of the truculent fuller nor indeed will i bring such an elegant and beautiful youth in danger of losing his life through the severity of the law concerning adultery but i will divide with my wife my pleasure with you and she shall be common both to you and me for i have always lived with my wife in such concord that according to the dogma of the philosophers the same things are pleasing to both of us but neither does equity suffer the wife to have more authority than the husband with such like flattering language having derided the young man he led him reluctant to a bed and sending away his most chaste wife who followed him to another bed he lying alone with the youth enjoyed the most grateful avengement of corrupted nuptials but as soon as the lucid chariot of the sun had made the day the baker having called two of his most robust servants and striking with a ferrule of the buttocks of the youth who was lifted to a considerable height for the purpose said to him do you who are so soft and tender and but a boy defrauding lovers wantonly desire women in the flower of your age and commit adultery with such as are free and connected by the conjugal compact and vindicate to yourself the unseasonable name of an adulterer having reproached him in these and many other words and besides this punished him abundantly with blows he turned him out of doors he however being the bravest of all adulterers having obtained unhoped for safety though his fair posteriors had been burst by night and for a long time sorrowfully fled nevertheless the baker divorced his wife and immediately thrust her out of her own house but she 
besides her genuine wickedness being profoundly excited and exasperated by the contumelious language of her husband, though it was just, returned to her treasury of fraud and the accustomed arts of females, and with great care searched for a certain crafty woman who was believed to be capable of effecting anything by incantations and sorcery, besought her with many prayers, and burdened her with many gifts, requesting of her one of two things, to wit, that she would either again cause her to be reconciled to her husband by appeasing him, or, if that could not be accomplished, that she would send some ghost or some dire demoniacal power to take away his life by violent means. Then that sorceress, and who was capable of effecting divine works, employed at first only the milder instruments of her wicked art, and endeavoured to bend the mind of the husband that had been vehemently offended, and impel it to love. But when the event of the thing was different from what she expected, being indignant with the gods, and besides the loss of the gain which she would have obtained if she had succeeded, being also stimulated by the contempt which she had sustained from the divine powers, she now began to attack the life of the most miserable husband, and to stimulate to his destruction the ghost of a certain woman who had suffered a violent death. Perhaps, however, O scrupulous reader, you reprehending my narration will argue as follows. But whence, O foolish ass, could you know what was done by women in secret, as you say you did, when, at the same time, you were confined within the boundaries of a bakehouse? Here, therefore, how a curious man, sustaining the form of an ass, knew all that was transacted with a view to the destruction of my master, the baker. Nearly about midday, a woman suddenly appeared in the bakehouse, deformed with severe sorrow, as if she was guilty of some crime, half-clothed with a coarse mantle, having her feet naked and without shoes. And being thus ill-favoured through leanness, there was in her face a paleness like that of box. Her hair likewise was half grey, torn, and filthy through the interspersion of ashes, and, hanging over her forehead, concealed the greatest part of her face. This woman, thus deformed in her attire, gently with her hand taking hold of the baker, led him into his bedchamber as if she had something to say to him in secret, and having shut the door, she stayed there a long time. But when all the corn was ground which had been given to the servants of the baker, and it became necessary to ask for more, the lesser men-servants, standing near the bedchamber, called their master by name, and asked for more corn to supply the mill. And, as no master answered them, though they frequently called him, and with a loud voice, they now more forcibly knocked at the door. Because, likewise, it had been most carefully bolted, suspecting something of greater consequence, and of a worse nature than usual, with great effort, they at length either plucked off or broke the hinges, and made an entrance for themselves. That woman, however, was nowhere to be found, but they saw their master hanging from a certain beam to which he was tied and now lifeless. Freeing him, therefore, from the knot by which his neck was fastened, they took him down from the beam with the greatest lamentations and weeping, and procured for his corpse the last ablution. Having likewise performed the offices pertaining to the dead, 
they buried him, a great crowd attending the funeral. On the following day his daughter came running from the next little town in which she had lately been married, sorrowful, shaking her pendulous hairs, and sometimes beating her breasts with her hands, for she knew all that happened, though no one had narrated to her the misfortune of the house, because the lamentable form of her father had presented itself to her in sleep, having the neck still tied with a cord, and unfolded to her all the wickedness of her stepmother, the adultery, the enchantment, and how he had descended to the realms beneath, being strangled by a nocturnal ghost. And when she had tormented herself by long-continued lamentation, at length, being restrained by the concourse of her friends and acquaintance, she gave a pause to her grief. And now the funeral solemnities being in the usual manner completed as his sepulchre, on the ninth day she brought forth the servants, the furniture, and all the laboring beasts to be sold by auction. Then the rash fortune of an uncertain sale dispersed in various ways the property of one house. Lastly, a certain poor gardener bought me for fifty pieces of money, which he said was a great price, but he purchased me in order that he might procure food for himself by our common labor. And the thing itself appears to me to require that I should also explain the discipline of this my servitude. In the morning, my master was accustomed to drive me to the next city, laden with many herbs, and after he parted with them for a certain sum of money, to those who sold them to others, he thus returned to his garden, sitting on my back. But while he was digging and watering and performing other rural works in a bent position, I, in the meantime, being at leisure, refreshed myself with placid quiet. Behold, however, the year running back through the number of days and months, by orderly and established circulations of the stars, had descended to the wintry frosts of Capricorn after the pleasures of the vintages of autumn. But I was tormented by continual cold through the daily rains and the nightly dews, being exposed to the open air and shut up in an uncovered stable. For my master, on account of his great poverty, could not purchase, even for himself, and much less for me, some straw or a small covering, but he lived contented with the leafy umbrage which his little cottage afforded. Besides this, also in the morning I endured great labor, in walking with unshod feet on excessively cold clay and pieces of very sharp ice, and was not able to fill my belly with my accustomed food. For both my master and myself had an equal and similar supper, and it was very slender, since it consisted of old and unsavory lettuces, which having, through the great age of the seeds, grown into an irregular height like long brooms, had degenerated into the bitter putridity of muddy juice. On a certain night, the master of a family of the next village, being impeded by the darkness of a moonless night, and wet through a heavy shower of rain, and in consequence of this prevented from pursuing his journey in the direct road, turned out of the way, with his now wearied horse, to our garden, and being as courteously received as the time would permit, though not in a delicate yet in a necessary succor of rest, and desiring to remunerate his benignant host, he promised that he would give him from his farm some corn and oil, and besides this, two caddy of wine, 
but my master without delay proceeded to the village of that master of a family which was distant from his garden sixty stadia sitting on my naked back and bringing with him a little sack and empty bladders and this journey being now finished we came to the before-mentioned farm and there the benignant host immediately gave my master to partake of a sumptuous dinner while too they were exciting each other alternately to drink a perfectly stupendous prodigy happened to take place a hen belonging to a coop in which others were kept running through the middle area made a noise with her native clangor as if she wanted to lay an egg her master beholding her said oh good servant and sufficiently prolific who for a long time hast nourished us with the eggs which thou hast daily brought forth now also as i see you think about preparing for us a breakfast and ho oh, boy said he speaking to one of his servants let the basket appointed for the hens when they are about to lay eggs be placed in the accustomed corner while the boy was doing what he was ordered to do the hen kicking away the bed which had been made for her as usual in the basket brought forth before the very feet of her master a premature offspring which was portentous of something very dire for she did not bring forth an egg such as we know a hen is accustomed to do but a chicken perfectly furnished with feathers and claws and eyes and voice and which immediately began to follow its mother in a similar manner also another prodigy arose far greater than the former and at which all men would be justly terrified for under the very table which sustained the relics of the dinner the earth opening itself from the bottom a most copious fountain of blood burst forth and many drops rebounding from thence sprinkled the table with gore at that very moment likewise in which all that were present were fixed in astonishment admiring and trembling at those divine portents one of the servants ran from the wine cellar announcing that all the wine which had long ago been deposited in it boiled up in all the vessels with a fervent heat and just as if a large fire had been put under it in the meantime also weasels were seen out of the house drawing into it a dead serpent a small green frog leaped out of the mouth of a shepherd's dog and a ram rushing on the dog which stood near him strangled him by one bite these prodigies so many and so great produced an extreme stupor with great fear in the minds of the master of that house and all of his family so that they knew not what should be done first or last what would more or what would less appease the anger of the gods or how many and what kinds of expiatory victims should be procured and while all of them were still torpid through the expectation of some most horrible subject of fear a certain little servant came running and announced to the master the great and extreme destruction of his family for he lived full of glory through having three sons now adult furnished with learning and endued with modesty between these young men and a certain poor man the master of a small cottage there was an ancient familiarity but a powerful rich and young neighbor and who badly used the renown of his ancestors race possessed ample and fertile fields contiguous to that small cottage 
and as he was powerful in the number of his dependents and easily accomplished in the city whatever he pleased he behaved in a very hostile manner to a poor man who was his neighbour by killing his sheep taking away his oxen and trampling on his corn before it was ripe when also he had now entirely deprived him of the product of his labour he likewise desired to expel him from the possession of his farm and exciting a frivolous controversy about the boundaries of the fields he vindicated the whole of the land to himself then that rustic who was otherwise a simple harmless man seeing himself plundered through the avarice of a rich man in order that he might at least retain enough of his paternal land for a sepulchre collected together with great trepidation many friends for the purpose of demonstrating to them what were the boundaries of his land among others those three brothers were present affording some small assistance to the great misfortune of their friend nevertheless the insanely furious rich man not being in the least terrified or even confused by the presence of many citizens not only was unwilling to abstain from rapine but also from intemperance of language for when they mildly expostulated with him and endeavoured to mitigate his fierce manners by soothing words he immediately swearing most sacredly by his own safety and that of his friends asserted that he considered the presence of so many mediators to be a thing of small consequence and lastly that he would order his servants to take that neighbour of his by the ears and expel him to a great distance from his little cottage and that this should be done immediately when he had thus said the greatest indignation was excited in the minds of all that heard him then one of the three brothers answered without delay and a little more freely that he in vain trusting to his riches threatened with tyrannic pride since the poor also are accustomed to be avenged of the insolence of the rich through the liberal aid afforded by the laws such as oil is to flame sulphur to burning and a whip to the furies such was the fuel of these words to this furious man and now being insensate even to extreme insanity and proclaiming that he would send all of them and their laws too to be hanged he ordered the shepherd's dogs to be liberated and also the mastiffs that were fierce and cruel and accustomed to feed on the dead bodies that were thrown into the fields and besides this were nourished by the bites with which they everywhere lacerated the passing traveller and he likewise commanded that they should be urged to the destruction of the men that were present but these as soon as by the accustomed signal of the shepherds they were excited and inflamed rushed on the men with furious rage being at the same time horrible by their dissonant barking and attacking they plucked their flesh and lacerate them with various wounds nor did they even spare them while they fled but being more irritated by their flight more eagerly pursued them then among the condensed slaughter of a trembling and flying multitude the youngest of the three brothers stumbled against a stone and having bruised his fingers was thrown on the ground and furnished a nefarious feast to those cruel and most ferocious dogs for immediately having found a prostrate prey they tore in pieces the miserable young man and as soon as the rest of his brothers knew that he was dying by his piercing cries they ran overwhelmed with sorrow to give him assistance and rolling their garments about their left hands they strive to defend their brother and to drive off the dogs by throwing at them many stones they could not however either terrify or vanquish their ferocity for the miserable young man being torn in pieces immediately died 
entreating with his last words that they would revenge the death of their youngest brother on that most filthy rich man. Then the two remaining brothers, not by Hercules so much despairing of as voluntarily neglecting their own safety, hastily attacked the wealthy man and hurled many stones at him with great ardor and a furious impetus. But the bloody murderer, who prior to this had been exercised in many similar abominable deeds, throwing a lance, pierced one of the two brothers through the middle of the breast. Yet the young man did not fall on the ground, though he was slain and perfectly lifeless, for the lance, which had penetrated through him, and the greater part of which came out at his back, was by the violence of the impulse fixed in the earth, and kept his body suspended by its firmness and rigidity. But one of the servants also, who was tall and robust, giving assistance to that homicide, sent from afar a stone with great force at the right arm of the third brother. But the stone, passing through the extremities of his fingers with a vain impetus, fell to the ground innoxious, contrary to the opinion of all that were present. Nevertheless, this milder event administered to the most sagacious young man some hope of revenge, for pretending that his hand was debilitated by the blow, he thus addressed the most cruel wealthy man. Enjoy the destruction of the whole of our family. Feed your insatiable cruelty with the blood of three brothers, and triumph gloriously over your prostrate citizens. Only remember that you will always have some neighbor, though you may give a still greater and greater extent to the boundaries of your lands. For this my right hand, which would have entirely cut off your head, now being bruised, is rendered incapable of effecting this through the iniquity of fate. The furious thief, being exasperated by this speech, seizing a sword, rushed on the most miserable young man, intending to slay him with his own hand. He did not, however, attack one who was weaker than himself, for the young man, unexpectedly resisting, and far contrary to his opinion, seized his right hand with a most strong embrace, and brandishing the sword with a great effort, expelled the impure soul of the rich man by many and frequent blows, and that he might also liberate himself from the hands of his domestics, who were running to the assistance of their master, he immediately cut his throat with the sword which was yet sprinkled with the blood of his enemy. These were the things which the before-mentioned astonishing prodigies had foreshown, and these were the circumstances which were narrated to the most miserable master. Nor could the old man, surrounded by so many evils, utter any word, or even silently weep. But, seizing the knife with which he had then divided among his guests the cheese and other parts of the dinner, he also sorely wounded his own throat with many stabs, in imitation of his most unhappy son, till, falling prone on the table, he washed away with a river of new blood the stains on that portentous blood which suddenly burst forth from the earth. The gardener, commiserating the fate of that house, which was after this manner destroyed in the shortest space of time, and grievously deploring the cruel events which had taken place, and also paying for his dinner with tears, and frequently striking together his empty hands, he immediately got on my back and returned through the road by which we came. His return, however, was not at least innoxious to him, for a certain tall man, who was a legionary soldier, as his dress and appearance indicated, meeting us on the road, asked the gardener, in proud and arrogant language, whither he was leading an empty ass. But my master, who was yet full of grief, 
and besides this was ignorant of the Latin tongue, silently passed by him. The soldier, therefore, being indignant at his silence, as a mark of contempt, thrust him from my back, at the same time striking him with the branch of a vine which he held in his hand. Then the gardener suppliantly answered that he could not know what he said through his ignorance of the Latin tongue. The soldier, therefore, subjoining, in Greek, said, Whither do you lead this ass? The gardener answered that he was going to the next city. But I, said the soldier, am in want of its assistance, for it is requisite that it should carry from the neighboring little town with other laboring beasts the baggage of our prefect. And immediately laying hold of the rope by which I was led, he began to draw me along. But the gardener, wiping away the blood which trickled from his head through the wound of the former blow, again entreated the soldier to act by him more humanely and mildly, and this he did, conjuring him by his prosperous hopes. For this ass, said he, is sluggish, and besides this frequently falls to that detestable disease epilepsy, and it is with great difficulty that he usually carries a few bundles of herbs from a neighboring garden, and in doing this he is fatigued, and his respiration is languid. So far is he from being adapted to carry larger burdens. After perceiving, however, that the soldier could not be appeased by any prayers, but was in a greater degree incited to his destruction, and that now having inverted the vine branch, he was preparing to fracture his skull with a larger knot of the branch, he fled to his last resource, and feigning that he wished to embrace his knees in order to excite his compassion, he inclined and bent himself, and taking hold of both his feet, lifted him up and violently dashed him to the ground. Immediately afterwards, likewise, he struck every part of his face, his hands, and his sides, at one time with his fists, at another with his elbows, and besides this he bit him, and beat him with a stone taken up in the road. Nor could the soldier either resist or by any means defend himself after he was laid prostrate on the ground, but could only frequently threaten that if he rose again he would cut him in pieces with his sword. The gardener, being admonished by these words, snatched the sword from him, and throwing it to a great distance, again attacked him with severer blows. But the soldier, being prostrate and prevented by wounds from defending himself, as he could not find any other means of safety, feigned that he was dead, which was the only thing that remained for him to do. Then the gardener, taking with him that sword, got on my back and proceeded rapidly in a direct line to the city, and not even thinking of at least visiting his own garden, he betook himself to a certain person with whom he was familiarly acquainted, and having narrated to this friend everything which had happened to him, he implored his assistance in his present dangerous situation, and requested that he would conceal him and his ass for some time, till he had escaped a capital indictment by being latent for two or three days. But this acquaintance, not being forgetful of ancient friendship, promptly received him, and having drawn me, my legs being folded together, by means of a ladder into the highest room of the house, the gardener crept into a certain chest that was in the cellar, and covering himself over with the lid of it, there lay concealed. The soldier, however, as I afterwards learnt, being at length roused, as if from excessive intoxication, nevertheless staggering and feeble, from the pain of so many wounds, and scarcely able to support himself by a staff, came into the city, and fearing to mention to any one of the citizens any particulars of his violence and inertness, 
but tacitly devouring the injury he had sustained, when he met with some of his fellow soldiers, he then told them of his misfortune. But they were of opinion that he should conceal himself for some time in their military dwelling, for besides his own proper disgrace, he feared also the military genius who presides over the military oath, on account of the sword which he had lost. They, however, having observed our footsteps, diligently applied themselves to the discovery of us, and to their own revenge. Nor was a perfidious neighbor wanting, who told them that we were there concealed. Then his fellow soldiers went to the magistrates, and pretended that they had lost on the road a very valuable silver vessel belonging to their prefect, and that a certain gardener had found it and was unwilling to restore it, but was now concealed in the house of a friend. Then the magistrates, becoming acquainted with the loss and the name of the prefect, came to the gate of our dwelling, and with a loud voice announced to our host that it would be better for him to deliver us up, who were certainly concealed in his house, than to undergo the danger of losing his life. But he, not being in the least terrified and consulting the safety of him whom he had taken under his protection, did not confess anything concerning us, and asserted that he had not seen that gardener for some days. On the contrary, the soldiers, swearing by the genius of the emperor, affirmed that he was concealed there and not in any other place. At length, however, the magistrates were determined, by investigation, to confute him in his obstinate denial. Having therefore sent the lictors into his house, and the other public ministers, they ordered them diligently to explore everything in all the corners of the apartments. But they, having searched, declared that no man, nor even the ass itself, were to be found in any part of the house. Then the altercation became more vehement on both sides, on the part of the soldiers, who asserted that we were certainly there, and frequently implored the assistance of Caesar and on the part of the master of the house, who denied the accusation and continually called the gods to testify the truth of what he said. I, therefore, who was in other respects an inquisitive ass, and endued with a restless petulance, when I heard the contention and clamorous murmur, was desirous, by looking through a certain window with my neck in an oblique position, to see what was the meaning of that tumult. And while I was so doing, one of the soldiers, having by chance turned his eyes to my shadow, called all of them to be witnesses of it publicly. Lastly, a great clamor was presently raised, and certain persons immediately coming to me by the assistance of ladders, laid their hands on me and drew me from the place of my concealment as a captive. And now, without any delay, more carefully exploring everything, and uncovering also the chest, they found the miserable gardener, drew him out from thence, presented him to the magistrates, and led him to a public prison, in order that he might suffer capital punishment. Nor could they refrain from jesting, accompanied with the greatest laughter at my looking out of the window. Whence also the proverb originated, which is very much used, concerning the inspection and shadow of an ass. End of chapter 9, part 2 Recording by Thomas Copeland